Good morning, Southside. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, this morning's theme, this week's theme in our Advent season is joy. Joy is the thing that is most desired, but it is also often easily confused. And, and as we are in this season of hope from Thanksgiving to Christmas, uh, it, it is a good reminder that there are many who are doing without during the season. There are many who are struggling with depression. There are many who are away from their families at this time. So what's to be said about joy? What is this joy? Well, I have found that during the season, oftentimes my own humanity, my own selfishness, often becomes the reason I don't have joy when I try to fulfill that for myself. There's a story that C.S. Lewis tells in the book, The Great Divorce. And he speaks through the voice of the narrator uh, who is watching the scene unfold where there's this ghost of a man. He's, he's translucent. You can see through him. And this ghost of a man is small. He's diminished. And there's this red lizard that is sitting on his shoulder. And what you can observe is that this red lizard is whispering into his ear and he starts chattering and the tail is flickering and and you could see that this ghost of a man was easily annoyed. Well, another being enters into this picture. If we have a some art for you. This other being enters the picture, uh, who we find out later on to be an angel. Uh, he's a monstrous size of a man. Uh, he's giving off light. He is bright, but he is also giving off heat, and he is burning. This burning man, this angel, says to the ghost of a man, I see that lizard is bothering you. Would you like me to quiet that lizard? And the ghost of the man said, yes, please. This is becoming rather a nuisance uh, to me. It keeps whispering in my ear. And as the burning man starts to reach out his hand towards the red lizard, the, the ghost of the man pulls back and says, what are you doing? Well, I must kill the lizard in order to make it quiet. But I require your permission to do so. And as this is going on, the red lizard uh, is whispering into his ear, and he's getting louder and louder and louder. And the man is absolutely afraid because this burning man might burn him as he's reaching for this lizard. Finally, the lizard becomes uh, so much of a nuisance that he finally just gives it up and says, All right, even if it hurts, go ahead and take this lizard from me. And as a result, the burning man takes the lizard, he breaks its back, and he throws it to the ground. And instantaneously, an image of a beautiful stallion arrives on scene. And this ghost of a man all of a sudden begins to fill in. And he becomes more of a man than he has ever been before. He rides the stallion and he goes to the higher country, which is the imagery for ultimately heaven. Maybe you and I are like that man, where we each have a little bit of a red lizard kind of hiding out on our shoulders, whispering into our ear. And maybe you and I are are often deceived to think that we cannot live without it. We, We can't live with it because it's absolutely a nuisance to us, but we can't live without it either. Well, this morning in your notes, I would like to let you know 
that there is a thief and he's here to steal your joy. Jesus said that uh, Satan has come as a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is fighting for your joy. Would you turn open with me this morning to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be in the New Testament gospel, Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll go back and we're going to unpack it together. This is the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and he set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on the other hand, on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship before me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. In this series, uh, Let Earth Receive her king. It is the idea that there are two kings, there are two princes uh, that are in play in this passage. We see an interaction with Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, who is coming to steal, kill, and destroy our joy. And then we have Jesus, who is the prince of peace, the one that has been prophesied, the one in whom we were waiting for. And to begin his earthly ministry... He first is baptized in Matthew 3, a joyous, glorious occasion. In Matthew chapter 4, he suffers. And in both occasions, Jesus identifies with us as people, as humans. He experiences our joys with us, but he also experiences our testing and our temptations. There's something to know that as your joy is being fought for, even now, that there are some things that you can do to guard yourself in that process. They say knowledge is power, and so I want to give a little bit of knowledge to think about things maybe in a different way. Um, first and foremost, I would like to talk about the biography of Satan. Satan has a very short list biography, but the things that he does, we recognize they work really well. Here's the biography. He is a master of psychology. He is a master of psychology. 
If you think about it, uh, being part of the celestial creation, the angelic beings that existed even before planet Earth was formed and before uh, people were a glint in his eye, there were angels. And Lucifer, who is Satan, being amongst the highest of them, possibly the most beautiful. So he was there and witnessed the creation of man. He was there in the garden that caused the first temptation to happen. And Adam and Eve, if you remember the story, um, they had more than indigestion from that fruit. He is a master psychologist and he has been studying human behavior since the beginning of time. He understands our, our actions and our thoughts and our desires better than any other being aside from God himself. And probably even better than ourselves. He, he knows our wiring. He knows the way that we work. Secondly, we see he is a master of theology. He is a master of theology. What that simply means is as he is providing temptation to Jesus, as he is testing Jesus' humanity, he is using God's word and he's twisting it because he knows that the parts that he says are true and the parts that he leaves out are what make it a lie. He is the father of lies, isn't he? And so he's going to take that which seems good and if he can introduce just a little bit of poison into that, well, that's his game. He knows God's word better than anyone in this room this morning. Wow. That's a little terrifying, isn't it? It just goes to show you that people will go to where their itching ears want to hear what they want to be told. He's a master of theology. Lastly, he is a master over this present earth. Uh, There are two things that we identify that are confirmed here in this passage. Uh, First is that Jesus doesn't deny Satan's rule over the earth. He doesn't deny it. As Satan is offering him the kingdoms of the world, if he would just bow down and worship before him, Jesus is saying, no, this is not your planet. This is not earth. It, It doesn't belong to you. That's not what he's saying. In fact, What we understand as we go back through this series, when when Pastor Gary had the chessboard, and uh, I believe it was Bo and uh, the gentleman who is the president of the Jacksonville Chess Club, uh, dueling it out on on chessboard, uh, what we came to recognize is that we are not one of the pawns on the board. We have this illusion that somehow God is using us in such a way where we're just kind of robotic and we can't really do anything and, and we're really just the small piece. And that it's somehow it's God versus Satan. That could not be the more theologically incorrect thing that we can believe. Satan's not on the other side of the table. Satan is a pawn on the chessboard. If you study Job, if you go back to Job chapter 1, we recognize that even before the temptation of Job, that Satan has to go and give roll call in heaven before God, and even has to ask permission from God to be able to tempt Job. Satan operates within the rules God has designed on his chessboard. 
He is nowhere near in competition to Jesus Christ, who is God the Son and the Son of God. But he is a master over this present earth. Jesus doesn't deny Satan's rule over this earth. And Satan doesn't deny Jesus' divinity. You are the Son of God, because I know you are the Son of God. Do these things. Satan knows Jesus is God even before the atheist does. So what are the tactics of Satan? If you go back with me through this passage. The first temptation starts in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That first temptation is a temptation of provision. It is the belief that somehow God is not able to take care of us. And so we have to do it ourselves. God, I I don't sense you, I don't see you, I don't know where you are, Uh, I'm in a hard spot right now, I don't know why I don't have a job, why there's not food on the table, why why there's just uh, so many things that contend uh, for our provision. Man shall not live by bread alone. The second temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation is not uh, only just temptation for provision, but for the temptation of protection. It's the temptation of protection. It's the belief in our rebellion, in our own humanity, that God cannot protect us. We have to do it for ourselves. I think this is an extremely meaningful conversation to have within this season, especially coming out of election, is that ultimately, no matter who is in office, Jesus is still king. He is the only one who can provide. He is the only one that can protect. He is the only hope for mankind. That's my Jesus. And we've fallen into this mentality so often that it's about self-preservation. I have to guard myself. I have to provide for myself. I have to give security to myself. We all understand how fleeting that is because the next day we could be without a job. We could be without a paycheck. Our hope's not in what we can do. And we fall into this temptation of self-preservation. I've come to find that I am really bad at self-preservation. What I have found is that through Jesus' sacrifice, I can find new life. And because of his sacrifice, I'm able to say things that I never thought I would be able to say. That for he who loses his life for Jesus' sake shall gain it. And he who gains life shall ultimately lose it. Wow. Scripture really doesn't speak about self-preservation, does it? What I can provide for myself. The third temptation. Verse 8. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you 
If you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. The third temptation is the temptation of power. It is the temptation of power. You may have heard it said before that if, if power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. The intoxication of power. It's something that we find is easily uh, seducing, but at the same time the least rewarding. Satan offers to Jesus, I will give you everything your eye can see from here to the edge of the horizon. And if you bow down and worship me, it can all be yours. That illusion of power. I don't know about you, but as a Christ follower, what Jesus has provided for me was his Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, we see that he sends his Holy Spirit to give us what? What's the word? Power. To be his witnesses. The power that is offered by this world is fleeting. The temptation of provision We can never satisfy that. The temptation of protection. We can never accurately and cleanly protect ourselves. And we can never succumb to power and have it fulfill something within our lives. Jesus came through all three of these temptations and he did so perfectly. And even when God's word was being used and twisted, Jesus came back because he is the word of God. He conquers and he battles And he came through. You see, it is more important, not so much that we focus on the divinity of Jesus in this passage. It's more important that we focus on the humanity of Jesus. We we understand in the Gospel of John, Jesus' claims that I am God. But it's in this passage where we can relate most to Jesus. In a world that offers religion and philosophy and so many other waves of thinking that are out there, only Christ followership can recognize that Jesus is not so transcendent that he's not knowable. My Jesus is personal, he's mine, he's here. We're really not good at fulfilling our pleasures and our desires. And God wired us for desire. Did you know that? The the taste buds on your tongue, that's how you know you enjoy stuff. I love chocolate chip cookies. I can't partake from chocolate chip cookies anymore, unless I'm sneaking. Um, I will be here at the altar call at the end, so um, I'm, I'm repenting right now. But we're really not good at fulfilling our own desires. But God has wired us in such a way to find the greatest desire, which can only be manifested in himself. It's only found in Jesus. Uh, I love this passage that uh, C.S. Lewis writes. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Here's why I'm not worried. Jesus humaned perfectly. Yes, that is a new word, and I reserve the right to coin that one. But if it makes sense, we needed the perfect representation for mankind before a holy God. And we recognize that, that in his divinity, he uh, provides that God-sized debt to be paid in regards to sin and selfishness. But we needed a perfect representative, a human, to be able to go through that, to come through perfectly so that he might be the perfect sacrifice. God allowed his son to be sacrificed so that you and I don't have to sacrifice our sons. Jesus became the perfect human representation because Adam messed it up for us in the garden. Right? God gave him the world and he broke it. And throughout history, we've wrestled with sin, and sin has broken this world, and sin taints us in our relationships and even the way that we view God. So we needed someone to come through this perfectly. Jesus became the perfect representation for us before God. That's hope instilling, because recognizing that he understands the things that I struggle with, he understands those better than anybody And yet he came through perfectly. When divinity collides with humanity, the end result is always glory. It's always glory. In this season, he is fighting for your joy. John 15, 10 and 11 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here's the reason. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Aren't you glad that passage didn't end with, that your joy may be partially complete? Just just a fraction of it? Jesus wants our joy to be full, and he is fighting for our joy. I mean, we can roll in a casket and we can have a funeral service like a lot of church services are acting like, where you can have a smile on your face because Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son, and he went through temptation for us so that when we went through it, he provided the perfect offering for us. We have been made right before God. No one's been able to do that. I'm about to get ready to get a little Pentecostal here. If you're a Christ follower, you are the evidence of a dead man walking. You are the evidence of a resurrection. That somehow you fit within 2,000 years of church history. And that your story is like so many others who have come before us. You're a sinner in need of a Savior and he has rescued you. So what does that mean for me? Well first, it's not about behavior management. But rather personal transformation. There is this illusion, uh, and I thought this for the longest time, that, that being a Christian is just a means of harnessing our youth and giving comfort to the old. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so much more than that. It frees us up from religion for the purpose of being his. 
It's no longer about the doing. It's about the enjoying and the being. He wants us to belong to the family of God. And it's not about the actions that we do. And if anyone has convinced you, uh, I apologize if I have ever been one of these, that before you start coming and being a part of of Jesus' family, that you have to clean yourself up, well, they're selling lies. We can dress this thing up really well. But being a part of a church means that we're part of a hospital, and sometimes hospitals get messy. I serve a Jesus that doesn't operate in sterile environments. I serve a Jesus who goes to the messy. He chases after the woman at the well. He chases after those who are far from God and far from church. He is pursuing them. But thanks be to God, he even saves religious people like me. It's not about behavior management, but personal transformation. Personal transformation is more about joy in God rather than doing things for God. And my only hope against sin in battling sin is that in Jesus' perfection, I can persevere. Because Jesus did it perfectly, I can persevere. What that means is that Jesus makes me brave. Jesus battled sin and he was fighting for me even in that wilderness encounter that he has with Satan as he is coming through temptation perfectly. He loved me enough to fight for my joy. My only hope against sin is that, is that in Jesus' perfection I can persevere. So the bottom line is this. This is the question I'm going to ask you. If I see you 45 minutes from now, outside of the door, what's it going to mean? What's it going to stick after we get done with this time together? Here's the question. Are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying God? In the season in which we can be so busy and so consumeristic and so caught up in the things that we have to buy and the things that we have to decorate and the dishes we have to make for the next party that we have to go to, uh, in the, the hustle and the bustle, Jesus is calling us to park and to dwell and to enjoy God. That's worship. That's worship. If we were to boil worship down, this is what I would say it is. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the ability to think more about God and the ability to have an adoration for him as well, and that's ever-growing. It is a mind and a heart thing. And without either one of those things, it becomes skewed. Real worship is creative worship, and it has to inquire of the mind as well as the heart. Have you thought about God lately? Do you adore him more lately? Maybe there was a time in your life that you had felt closer to the Lord. And you remember that time. But that time is not now. Go back to what was working. Go back to what you know. I'm pretty sure that's going to give you a beeline back to God's word. And to seek him out in prayer. Jesus is fighting for your joy. Are you going to let him? This time we're going to ask the band to come up and I'm just going to lead us in a, a moment of solitude and prayer. We're going to open up the floor for you. If the Lord has spoken to you, if he's wrestling with your heart, if, if you feel like your joy has been stolen from you, here's a good opportunity to get it back.
Floor's open if you need someone to pray with you. Uh, I'll be here. Um, bring a friend with you. Do business with God. Find joy. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much for these that are here, Lord. And I true, truly believe that you've brought us here not to just scratch off an hour, hour and a half uh, from our schedules, but that we really might do business with you. And Father, what that means is that your word is true, and we have to respond whether it's true to us. So even the minutes that are walking out of this place matter. And Father, I just pray that your spirit might pierce our hearts to reveal any darkness that needs to be removed, and Lord, that you might invade their space. We thank you that even when we don't add up, and even when our past and our history creep up behind us, Jesus came through perfectly. Father, we thank you for the good news this season that you sent us the Savior of the world. May our hearts continue to find our greatest joy in you. And in you alone can we be most satisfied. And at this time, Lord, we just surrender. We lay it down at your feet. We give it up. Lord, be the Lord of our lives even today. It is in the holy and precious name of Jesus in which you've made all of this possible.